0: Ensconced constant red and gold brocade, Ratha Nandaka unsteadily marched towards General Min Ong Lang to be sprinkled with holy water as a traditional anthem played. White elephants, went the song, emerged during the reigns of great and mighty kings. The General's baby elephant, state media reported, bore seven of the eight marks of an especially auspicious albino including, and I quote, a plantain branch-shaped back and a pearl-coloured eyes. The precious white elephant, beloved by the country, will bring prosperity and happiness, an official press release said. Local social media was a bit more sceptical. It seems like they forgot to put sun cream on, someone posted. Now the elephant's black. Black or white, responded another user. The baby elephant was a prisoner. This summer, the military junta ruling Myanmar is expected to hold elections to legitimize the coup it staged two years ago. The rules, international studies professor Mary Callahan writes, are likely to be rewritten to ensure no single party can dominate parliament, as former state councillor and foreign minister Aung San Suu Kyi's National League for Democracy did in 2015 and 2020. Even that, though, might not be enough ferocious fighting is underway in much of the country with assassinations of local government functionaries and regime supporters being reported regularly. The white elephant is part of an image-building exercise for General Min, casting him in the tradition of Burma's great rulers. To earn merit, the junta leader donated giant rubies believed to possess mystical powers and consecrated new pagodas. The general has also granted himself grand new titles such as The Most Glorious Order of Truth, which comes with a ruby-studded gold sash. Elections, though, will be needed if the rising emperor is to have real legitimacy. And to do that, he needs to buy support from the powerful ethnic armies which rule large swathes of Myanmar. He'll need to stamp out those who won't fall in line. Everything is for sale to the tycoons who roll up at the casinos in Myanmar's little Mongla in their BMWs. Teenage sex workers trafficked from Thailand, pangolin fetuses in wine, white rhino horn and drugs. Lin Mingxian, a one-time Red Guard in Mao Zedong's China, had arrived in the country's Shan region to fight alongside communist insurgents. Lin later established his own armed group and emerged as a major figure in the opium-trafficking business. Then, he signed a ceasefire brokered by Intelligence Chief, Lieutenant General Kin Nyunt in 1989. Lin received something resembling independence in return for ending attacks on the Myanmar military and proceeded to launder his drug money by investing it in casinos. The warlord even declared his territories opium-free, though experts believe he continued to earn revenues from cross-border trafficking through his territories. Through marriage alliances with other powerful warlords, key among them the legendary Kokang Chinese drug lord Peng Xia Cheng, Lin steadily expanded his empire. The enterprise, scholar Bertel Lindner records, received support from China which saw the little empires of the warlords as a tool with which they could expand their national influence. Even though the China-warlord relationship has not always been smooth, Beijing was quite irked by the explosion of cybercrime operations out of the region after the casino business was hit during the pandemic. The relationship has strategic value for both sides. This month, General Min is reportedly negotiating with Lin's National Democratic Alliance Army or NDAA, the Peng-founded United Wa State Party, UWSP, and the Shan State Progress Party or SSPP to allow elections in the territories they control. Deng Shijun, China's Special Representative for Myanmar, is also reportedly in talks with these insurgent groups. The ethnic militia that have grievances with the NLD like the Mon Unity Party, the Shan Nationalities League for Democracy and the powerful Arakan National Party might also choose to participate in elections in some shape or form. Even though the Myanmar Armed Forces legitimize themselves as the custodians of Burmese nationalism, their actual role has been as the country's largest warlord, not a professional military. From the 1930s, as Burmese nationalist politicians recognized the need to back up their anti colonial movement with armed struggle, they formed what were called TAT or popular militia. Aung San, the founding patriarch of modern Burma and Aung San Suu Kyi's father, himself led a TAT called the Puit Yebao Afwe or People's Volunteer Organization in 1945. Following independence, armed TAT in linked to various individuals and parties continued to operate with loose control by the government. These militias were driven by ideological commitments, not loyalty to the norms and constitution of a nation-state. Electoral violence was common. In the 1950s, candidates of the ruling Anti-Fascist People's Freedom League campaigned with so-called pocket armies, resulting in fighting so intense that elections had to be held unconstitutionally in three phases. Following the coup d'état of 1962, international relations professor Mong Ang Myo observes, the military began to systematically indoctrinate its personnel in left-wing political ideals. The collapse of the so-called Burmese way to socialism in 1988 led to these beliefs being abandoned. The military, however, continued ideological indoctrination, now focusing on the three national causes, the unity of the union, the maintenance of national solidarity and the preservation of national sovereignty. The mass of ethnic insurgencies that challenged the military led to its adopting what became known as the four-cut strategy. Academic Lionel Beener writes that this strategy was one, cut off ethnic militias access to food, cut off funds, cut contacts and cut off the insurgents head by ending recruitment. These ends were often pursued with extraordinary savagery, including the use of air power against civilian populations. Without the resources to effectively control the ground, the Myanmar military increasingly depended on alliances with local actors like rival ethnic militia and narcotics traffickers, sometimes the same thing. These alliances, academic John Buchanan notes, were inevitably fluid and contingent. Even militia closely allied with the government relied heavily on criminal activities to fund themselves. This meant ceasefires and alliances with the government did not push forward state building and the rule of law. Like it has so often in the past, the military has now responded to challenges to its rule with barbarism. Faced with mounting casualties, the International Crisis Group reports... The military is using long-range artillery, airstrikes and airborne assaults on populated areas such as the town of Mindat in Chin State and Demoso in Kaya State. The rebel village of U in Sagaing province is reported to have suffered the loss of almost 2,500 homes. Large-scale massacres of civilians have also taken place. Though it stops short of authorising lethal assistance, The Burma Act, which was signed into law by U.S. President Joe Biden in December, shows patience with the Myanmar military is running out in Western capitals. Association of Southeast Asian Nations or ASEAN members, too, are increasingly frustrated with the military's conduct. General Min, however, will be counting on support from China to sustain the regime. China sees Myanmar as a strategically critical backdoor for access to the Indian Ocean. The Gagantuan Mongtong Dam on the Salween River in Shan, as well as road and rail links from Kunming in southern China to the Kyokfu Deep Seaport in Rakhine, show China's continued willingness to sink cash into the junta. The military, moreover, has access to funding through the criminal networks it presides over and extracts revenues from. For now, India has sought to maintain its ties to Myanmar's military, knowing the generals hold the key to peace in the Northeast. Following the failed pro-democracy protests of 1988, New Delhi paid a heavy price for severing links with the generals. From 2010, however, efforts to rebuild the relationship paid off and the Myanmar armed forces shut down Naga and Manipuri insurgent bases across the border. That in turn put pressure on insurgents to agree on ceasefires with the government. The intensified Insurgency in Myanmar, though, could leave the military in no position to keep delivering on its commitments to India. Should China gain greater influence, the generals might also have little incentive to help New Delhi. India needs to start preparing for bad outcomes in the Northeast by quickly moving to turn ceasefires with insurgent groups into durable political agreements. I'm Praveen Swami and I'm National Security Editor of The Print. Thank you for listening to Security Code.